0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tom's Hardware Show. I'm Sharon, and it's November 19th, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, which means it's time to kick things off live. Yes, we are live like we are every week. And just like every other week, we're taking questions from the viewers. So if you're watching this live right now and drop a question into Facebook or YouTube in the chat, we'll try to look at those and get to some questions by the end of the show. So we have a couple great Tom's Hardware folks joining us today. A first office staff writer, superstar, Michelle Earhart. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
0: Doing well. What have you been working on um, for the site this week, Michelle?
1: So uh, we have another big launch to talk about this week, but uh, a little under the radar, I guess, compared to that. The Apple M1 chip launched this week as well. Um, Units with that in are starting to ship out finally. We have MacBook Air, MacBook Pro, and Mac Mini units with that. Uh, We don't have any in for a review yet, but we're starting to see numbers coming out. So I've been keeping track of that. And we have a guide page on the site to help get you up to date on any M1 news. Awesome. So
0: definitely check that out if you're wanting to stay caught up with the latest in chips and how Apple is going to compete. Um, But also joining us today is... Tom's Hardware, Senior Editor and Graphics Guru great, Jared Walton. How's your week been?
2: Uh, just, uh, I didn't sleep until yesterday <laughs> morning at 7 a.m., 8 a.m., whatever it was, my time. So, Gee, that, uh, whatever
1: little, reason could that be yeah.
2: for? Watch no reason, <laughs> and, and there's nothing else happening the rest of the year, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> positive there won't be any other... Days like yesterday. Um, no, we we had the thirty. The sorry, I I don't know why I said thirty seven hundred. That's like old news. I we had the sixty eight hundred XT, and sixty eight hundred launched yesterday. In fact, behind me, that screen is actually got the sixty eight hundred sitting in it. That's Assassin's Creed Valhalla, running overclocked. Um, so yeah, it's I I'm not done with testing. That's the sad thing. <laughs> I I wrote all the I, I ran so many tests and I still have more to kind of go back and revisit. Overclocking was one of those things like I'd gotten in process but hadn't really finalized the numbers. And there's there's some weird stuff going on with overclocking these chips. Like let me let me just preface that. But uh, yeah, it's. It's it was a it's a big launch, so AMD is back in the mix. Like they, they can't legitimately beat the 3080 in every test. Um the 3070 is a little bit uh more in trouble, but yeah. uh I, I think 3090 is out of reach for AMD in terms of performance, but at fifteen hundred dollars it's like, well, I don't know how many people were really looking to buy that. They're all sold out anyway, so
0: Well, yeah, so I wanted to talk to you about that, Jared, um, because obviously the question is, how does this series compare to NVIDIA's RTX 30 series overall? And something I thought that was really interesting in your review, which, of course, if you haven't checked it out, it's on our homepage right now. like
2: 5,000 words of it. (laughs) They're
0: all gold. They're all gold. Um, But one of the things I thought was really interesting in your your review, Jared, is you said that the release of Zen 3, the Ryzen 5000 CPUs, meant that, you know, running AMD graphics cards and AMD CPUs together finally means no compromises. Um, Can you explain how Zen 3 slash Ryzen 5000 enables that?
2: So, you know, AMD bought ATI back in, gosh, what was it, 2007? And there've been like these hints of what was to come, but it was always like, well, yeah, we've got APUs with, with AMD graphics and CPUs built into the same chip. But, you know, your integrated graphics performance was always like a generation or two behind of the the desktop cards and integrated graphics that has shared memory, all sorts of other caveats. But the bigger problem was like on their CPU platform and running with their own GPUs is like, well, there was no real advantage, especially when Intel had the faster CPU, particularly for gaming. Um, And that was the case up until pretty much Ryzen 5000. So um, gaming is very latency responsive. So if your memory hierarchy adds latency, it's going to hurt your gaming performance a bit, even if you're great in multi-threaded performance. So, you know, we we can see this in Ryzen, like the the initial Ryzen Zen architecture and the Zen Plus chips, they performed great in multi-threaded apps. Like if you were doing 3D rendering with Cinebench or Cinema 4D or Blender or whatever that was, whatever you wanted to use, they scaled really well with cores. Then you flip over to gaming and, I mean, at the launch, I remember just being like, hold on, like performance is so good elsewhere. What's up with the gaming performance? It, was, it wasn't it was bad, but it was nowhere near the gains that we were seeing in other areas. And over time, we basically said, oh, it's, it's that whole, uh, you know, architecture. It had dual CCXs, each with its own L3 cache. And if you went from one CCX to the other CCX, you did this little like, dog and pony show where you had to go back and forth and it took took more time added latency the newer zen 2 architecture helped things but you still had like if you talked from you had like one one core com uh sorry one compute die then you had the io die and you had another compute die if you were talking between these chips going to the io die made sense and that would add latency so if you went from this one's l3 to this one's l3 you had to go to the IO die and back over the Infinity Fabric. The problem was there were two CCXs, two core complexes on each compute die. And if you wanted to talk from one CCX to the other CCX, you still had to go down to the IO die and back over the Infinity Fabric, which added a lot of latency. Zen 3 fixes that because now there's only one CCX on a chip. It's an eight core um, CCX and all 32 megabytes of L3 cache are shared. And so now there's, like, if you go from chip to chip, you still do this, but uh, but you don't have to do it as often. And that releases congestion on the Infinity Fabric. It improves latency. And by doing that, it improves gaming performance. And it's not like a clean sweep. Every game runs fastest on AMD CPU. But it's dang close. And it's it's to the point now where it's like you won't lose much in the way of performance by going with AMD. Sometimes you'll gain performance on AMD CPUs. And so it's pretty much a wash there. And if you're going multi-threaded AMD Zen 3 wins. And so now you've got like the fastest CPU is legitimately AMD. And so if you buy an AMD graphics card, you're no longer like, oh, well I wanted an AMD graphics card but I want to get an Intel CPU. You can go AMD on AMD, right? So that's a long-winded way of getting to this. and then. Because AMD controls the platform, the CPU, and the GPU, they can now try and find other ways to enhance performance. And one of those they're calling Smart Memory Access, which it's funny because it's it's adjusting the PCI Express bar. I don't even, I'd have to look up what bar stands for, but um, <laughs> bus address register, I don't know. Uh, anyway, they, it's an aperture that kind of controls how big the the window is to talk between CPU and GPU or system memory and and graphics memory. And by increasing that, they're saying, hey, we can boost performance 5% or more. Um, NVIDIA said, hey, we can do that too. The problem is it's validation. Like now AMD can say, hey, we'll validate motherboards with this. We'll help them get it working. But who does Nvidia go to? Well, now they have to go to Intel's motherboard partners and get them all on board. And luckily they they work with Gigabyte and Asus and MSI and all these all these players already with graphics cards. So they can do it and they say they will do it, but they haven't done it yet. So that's kind of where we sit. Um, Anyway, like at least you can buy an all AMD rig and not feel like, oh man, I wish I didn't have to lose a little bit of gaming performance. Even yeah. at 10, even at 1440p or 4K or whatever,
0: yeah, which is I feel like big news in itself. And Jared, I do want to talk to you in a bit about um, upgrading for those who you know might be looking toward this next generation of cards for upgrading. But I feel like before we can have that conversation, I want to first turn to Michelle to ask about availability. Is there even any availability with these cards? What's what's the deal, Michelle?
1: So these cards, like pretty much every other major tech launch we've seen recently, uh, sold out within minutes, sometimes seconds, of going up. Um, you'll maybe see the odd one coming up now and then in the coming weeks. Like occasionally we see an RTX 3000 listing go up for a few minutes, but then it'll instantly get bought out. Uh, So we have a guide on our site that sort of breaks down the different uh, strategies that websites are using uh, for these launches that you can check out. For instance, uh, B&H doesn't actually, or B&H Photo Video, doesn't actually have any listings right now. Uh, I assume they're sort of sick of it after the RTX uh, launch. Um, So if you try to search for those cards on their site, you'll just get taken to a page that says, we don't know how much we're getting and when. So we're not gonna put these up for you to buy quite yet. And we'll keep you updated um amd actually is different from nvidia in that you can buy directly from amd uh, but at the same time if you search for it on the amd site they'll also say hey we're we're sold out we'll let you know um so again that's to be expected but it's interesting to see sites kind of be a bit more honest about this than they had in the past um, you could always go to the gray market if you want to, although personally, I wouldn't recommend that both because, you know, we don't want to support scalpers, uh, but also because uh one of the advantages, even though these cards are more powerful, one of the advantages with AMD is value and price, and the current gray market listings or aftermarket listings are more expensive in some cases than I've been seeing with the RTX cards, you know, reaching into the thousands. And that kind of goes against the whole ethos of buying a, a Radeon, I think. So uh, for now, maybe it's best to, you know, we wrote a, a guide about maybe it's not the best time to upgrade your, your PC. And to be honest, uh, the... Next generation of gaming just got started on consoles and a lot of AAA games, you know, are cross releases. Uh, So it's going to be a little while until we see games that will really need you to have these cards uh, to play anytime soon. Uh, So you're probably best off waiting right now, but we will keep you up to date as we see stock coming in.
0: Michelle, I wanted to ask you, because I know you've been watching the major retailers since um, the NVIDIA 30 series cards came out. Is there any particular site that you're seeing possibly have better stock, like worth keeping a
1: closer eye on, or is it all just kind of a free for all? Um, So I think we might actually, what was interesting is this wasn't a graphics card launch, but Walmart actually for the PS5 launch did something very interesting where instead of putting all of its uh, systems up for purchase at once, it put some up at noon and then held back a little bit, put some up at three, put some up at six, and I was sitting there At those times during launch day. uh, Clicking on the site as it went through. And I did have the option to buy. I didn't personally go in on the purchase. But I had it in my cart. And I easily could have. You should have bought it. (laughs) You've made a
0: lot of enemies, Michelle.
1: (laughs) I easily could have. So, you know, I'm not promising. That we're going to see anything like that. With uh, these cards in the future. We obviously didn't see it. Uh, on launch day. But, you know, as we move into this era where bots are constantly crowding out launch day, uh, Walmart system wasn't perfect. We still got a lot of reports of, you know, people not being able to buy cards because bots can just camp out those times too. But we might be seeing more stores take on innovative solutions like that for these launches. Uh, you know, since we can't do brick and mortar anymore, sadly. Hmm.
2: Right. You know, uh, the, so, yeah, go I, ahead. Was gonna, I was going to say the interesting thing about AMD's Radeon 6800 launch is like they sold out. That's not at all a surprise. I think supply is going to be worse on the Radeon 6800 than on NVIDIA and on Ryzen 5000. And the reason simple. Like, look at this. This is here. Let me turn off my blur background. (laughs) This is the previous gen uh, 5700, right? You got a little chip inside here, plus memory chips that need to go around the GPU. Then you got the fan and the cooler and the PCB and all these things that go into the graphics card. The total cost to make this is probably $250, maybe $300. And then they try and sell it for like $400 $400 or whatever it is. I, I don't know what the actual price is, but the point is there's a lot that goes in there um, I don't have a CPU handle handy, but by comparison like a CPU is just like a chip on a little PCB with some resistors and Capacitors on it like it's super simple now look at the die size the die size for the Navi 21 GPU that's being used in the 6800 XT the 6800 is 519 millimeters square The die size for each compute core in a Ryzen 5000 is 80 millimeters squared. So AMD can sell 160 millimeters square of TSMC N7 process chips as a $550 or $800 Ryzen 9 5900X, 5950X, or it can take 520 millimeters squared, so like almost three times the size, I think, and sell it as a single GPU for a similar price where the profit margins are lower. So like AMD right now, like they don't have a good reason to mass produce um, Radeon chips if they're selling everything that they can make on Ryzen and Radeon and everything else. Whereas Nvidia, they don't have to worry about like stealing their, their GP or their CPU thunder by making more GP, more CPUs. So, um, I I can't imagine that you're going to see like a huge inventory of Radeon cards showing up. That's just my, that's just my bet. And and there's the other factor too, like CPUs are less complex. If you put in a big wafer order for new CPU chips, it takes about three months to go from fabrication to being a product that's for sale with CPU uh, with graphics cards. You've got to get the Ram. You've got to get the PCBs. You've got to get everything assembled together plus the wafers and the chips and all that stuff. So it takes longer. So, I mean, I've heard from at least some manufacturers saying, no, it's like if NVIDIA wants more Ampere GPUs to sell, it takes 180 days from the time they order a wafer. And so, you know, TSMC doesn't really have more wafer capacity. Samsung might, Um, but even if NVIDIA placed the order back in September, right when 3080 launched, they said, oh my gosh, that sold out so fast, we're going to need a ton more of these you know it's going to take until february is kind of the latest word and and something else to think like why didn't they make more what was 6 months before february uh, before the ampere launch well that was like right in the middle of the first coronavirus craziness businesses were being closed down all this was happening like if you would if you'd gone to them and said hey you know what we think this is going to sell like hotcakes and you should order twice as many GPUs as you're currently ordering, you know, double your wafer order. Like they would have looked at you like you were insane. It would be like, no way. There's we're shutting down like coronavirus is killing us. So, you know, it's it's both of those factors coming together and that's why there's so many shortages and then bots and all that stuff doesn't help. So,
0: right. And of course, it's something that's not only hitting graphics cards. We've talked about consoles, even laptops, yep. everything is. Everything a lot of most things tech-wise
2: are being yeah, everyone's staying at home and they're like, hey, we need our new tech. We got to get our tech fix.
0: Even like <laughs> refrigerators. My girlfriend was trying to buy a new fridge. They're all sold out till next year. Fridge. Oh. Anyway, um, I want to take us to some of our viewer questions on the Radeon RX 6800 XT. And Jared, you also t- tested the RX 6800. Um, Steve Curley would like to know what the thermals are like. Now, yeah, is that something that um, you went deeply into in the review?
2: I didn't take like pictures, I, I ran out of time. Like I'll, I'll tell you, like I I literally was up all night on Tuesday night and I was up late on Monday night and worked over the weekend and all that stuff and still didn't get all the stuff tested that I wanted to do. Thermals, I mean, you can see the charts, which is reading the the information from GPU-Z that talks to the drivers and the thermals are pretty good. I I could pull up the chart here in front of me, but I wanna say like, the 6800 XT was topping out at probably like mid 60 Celsius range by default. Um, So not super hot, not super loud, like it's doing good. And let me just throw this out there. Like overclocking these things is pretty dang impressive. Like they AMD says they redesigned and re-architected things to help hit higher clock speeds, which you usually haven't seen much on GPUs because they're like, Hey, we should just go wider instead of, scaling up clock frequencies because clock frequencies mean more power. Um, But they, they re-architected this and the, the boost clock on the 6,800 XT is officially 2.25 gigahertz. And when I saw that, I'm like the 5,700 XT's boost clock is 1905 megahertz, I think. Um, So you're talking like 250, no 350 megahertz higher. That's a big jump. And the, uh, the 5700 XT doesn't actually hit its boost clock very often unless you're getting like some super factory overclocked card. Um, it might hit that night 9, 1.9 gigahertz. The uh, the 6800 XT definitely hits the boost clock. In fact, it often exceeds it, even at stock. And uh, if you go in and start playing around with overclocking, I've seen the, the 6800 XT kind of tops out um, because of power and other stuff, I think. It, it tops out at closer to like... 2.45 gigahertz, maybe the, the uh, 6,800, I I saw like a pretty steady, like just flat line at 2.55 gigahertz with overclocking. I was like, whoa, I mean, that's, that's a solid 500 megahertz higher than previous generation GPUs for air cooling Um, like if you did liquid nitrogen or liquid cooling of some form maybe you got higher than that with a with the previous gen turing card but 2.5 gigahertz on a on a you know reference gpu platform is pretty dang awesome. And, and <laughs> you can still control the thermals. Uh, like I, I bumped up the fan speed just because it's like, well, I need to make sure things aren't overheating. And so my overclocking temperatures were actually lower than my stock temperatures because I was running the fans faster. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's some interesting stuff there. And the, the one thing that I, I was going to say with overclocking, the one oddity, like there's no you can use the AMD drivers to overclock, but that's always been a little iffy. MSI Afterburner, which is what I normally use for overclocking graphics cards, um, doesn't seem to support the the 6800 series yet. At least when I tried it, like I turned the the core clock slider up and hit apply, and it dropped back to to the stock. I was like, "What's going on?" So. Um, when I launched games, it was weird. Cause sometimes a game would run really slow and I'm like, well, why is, why is it not working right? I'd alt tab and I'd go back into the game. I figured that's out during testing, like, and also performance would jump back up to where it was. So it's not like the GPU was throttling, but something in the drivers, maybe when you're overclocking was, was doing goofy things. So, um, is something to be aware of. I think that'll that'll improve with new drivers, new utilities that support the chips and all that stuff. But overclocking to 2.4, 2.5 gigahertz seems like it should be pretty commonplace with the RDNA 2 chips so far.
0: So Jared, I've got you on the big screen. So I'm gonna throw another question your way, which I think you kind of uh, mentioned before. I'm not sure if you got the same sort of um, results that Mark Delgado has seen um, they said some of the CPU scaling benchmarks show the 6800 XT performing better with Intel's 9900K and 10900K rather than AMD's 5900X. So I'm curious if, because I believe you are probably you- looking
2: at my benchmarks is what he's saying. Um, <laughs> and the answer to that is I've got three different motherboards and three different CPUs and three different kits of memory because like ideally I would have used the same memory kit at least on every one of the platforms. I didn't have three identical memory kits that I could use. So like one of the one of the systems has four, eight gigabyte DDR4000 kits with, I think their CL19, CAS latency 19, which maybe isn't optimal. I, I didn't have like time to go through and be like, okay, what's the best memory to use? Uh, my old 9900K systems, they're using uh, some Corsair DDR4 3600 CL16 memory, which is pretty nice memory. Um, the, uh, and then there's another kit I had also DDR4 3600, but it's uh HyperX Kingston HyperX, uh, CL 17 memory. So, you know, there's, there's all these factors and then you throw in like the firmware and BIOS optimizations that may or may not be present, different security patches that may or may not exist on Intel. Like there's all these things going on. You've got smart memory access on the MSI X570 Godlike board and it's like, it's beta kind of right now is how it feels. And it's like, well, did the beta smart memory access detune something else on the platform so that it actually reduced performance? I don't know, but it's entirely possible. And so that's that's kind of the vagaries of testing with different platforms, like a 3% swing for switching motherboards isn't even remotely uncommon. Like that's kind of expected. Ideally they all perform the same, but you don't know until you test and that's why we do the testing. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much about like the 5900X looking a bit slower in some cases, because I think some of that is just newness of the platform, newness of the drivers, newness of the BIOS, and and it will probably sort itself out over the coming months. Um, and if you're running at 1440p or 4K, like legitimately, you're not going to be, oh, my gosh, I can tell this is 3% slower, <laughs>
0: Um, So I want to talk a bit about ray tracing. I see we have some questions about it um, that we will get to, but I first wanted to, something I want to ask Michelle, because you know a lot about video game design. Um, I'm curious what you think about ray tracing, because now with with it being in AMD's graphics cards and also in the new consoles, I'm wondering um, your opinion on if it's hype. Are you excited about it? And do you think we'll be seeing more of it in games coming out?
1: So this is something where I'm really curious to see what Jared has to say because personally, I'm more of a frame rate person. I really like the the smooth response time. I like feeling like the games, uh, really reading what I'm doing, and I hate drops. Uh, so I normally play with ray tracing off uh, because I'm used to it cutting my FPS in half, even. And I didn't buy a 144. 144 hertz monitor (laughs) for that. I also am not super impressed by it, but you know that's maybe me being a bit of an old head. Uh, An old head. I I haven't heard that. I'm not old, but I could be
2: your dad. Almost. Come on. (laughs) Super
1: old head. (laughs) Um, I mean, I could put the the baseball cap on, but uh. What is it? I think the the lighting effects are nice, but they also look a little bit stock sometimes in implementation right now. I think I'm really excited to see as ray tracing becomes more common, uh, how games really start to mix them with unique art direction. Um, but really the performance hit is what makes me skeptical right now are these cards it seems like they're not maybe as good as what nvidia does but uh how do you think these cards will change the ray tracing scene jared
2: uh it's uh, like ray tracing is it's kind of in its infancy for games like even though turing came out two years ago and theoretically like developers have been able to do this for a while I, it takes a long time for this stuff to trickle down and, and people need the hardware and all this stuff needs to happen. And let's be honest, like you're right. Ray tracing sometimes if the developer doesn't make it a priority to really do, do some cool stuff with it, you end up looking at it and you're going, you know, a little bit different or like call of duty. I'll, I'll just call them out. It's got ray traced shadows and ambient occlusion. And, you know, it's, it, tanks the frame rate, it cuts it in half almost. And that's on Nvidia hardware, it might even be worse on AMD hardware. Uh, And you look at the effect and you're like, I could maybe see you saying that it's more accurate, but does it look that much better? And if you're playing a first person shooter multiplayer, I'm like, no way, give me the frame rates. So you Mm -hmm. turn off ray tracing. Fortnite, like maybe Fortnite creative mode, you wanna turn on the, like Fortnite now has ray traced reflections and shadows and ambient occlusion and global illumination and i was looking at it and like on a 3090 or 3080 running at 1440p 240 frames per second you turn those on without dlss and you drop to like 40 (laughs) and i'm like no one's going to do that um so they need to figure out ways to kind of come halfway especially like for consoles like the the 6800 series or 6800 vanilla card has 70 or has 60 compute units 60 ray accelerators high clocks 2.1 2.2 gigahertz um even though that's like above the boost clock in some time in some cases that's what i'm seeing in testing and that's faster than the xbox series x and it's faster than the playstation 5 and yet ray tracing performance is still like really rough it's and so they need to come to kind of figure out like how can we cast less rays and still get a good effect and that's going to take time and optimizations and i mean a lot of times the answer is probably just going to be from the software developers like hey we don't care about this enough to put in that effort because we can look good enough without it so um nvidia's ray tracing performance definitely better like i think the ray accelerators in amd's cards are probably maybe comparable to the ray tracing cores the rt cores in turing the first generation nvidia cards Uh, they like you get how many ray triangle intersections can you compute for second per second like neither company is being super forthcoming about like that number because it's hard to get to. And you're also not just doing ray triangle intersections. You're doing these bounding volume hierarchy traversals where you've also got ray box intersections which is a different metric. And it looks like AMD, I think they said they can do four ray box intersections per cycle or one ray triangle intersection per cycle. I'm not even sure how that compares with NVIDIA's but I'm pretty sure NVIDIA's is faster on both the bounding volume hierarchy stuff and the rays. And so, you know, they can do more ray tracing without taking as big of a performance hit. But the consoles are going to have more units out there, almost certainly. Um, and so there's developer impetus to be, like, focused on AMD's level of performance rather than NVIDIA's. So they need to do all sorts of denoising and optimization tricks to cast less rays and hopefully get a decent result. Um, I I kind of joked, I, not joked, I said in the article, I'm like, you know, looking at something like Fortnite, when you enable all the ray tracing effects, um, I, we're on second generation RT cores for NVIDIA, I feel like we kind of need fourth generation cores to get ray tracing with all the bells and whistles running at good frame rates like you know, 100 frames per second, say, even with DLSS, that's, that's kind of what I would like to see. 1440p, 4k, 100 frames per second, all the stuff enabled. And you can do that without ray tracing right now. You can't do it with ray tracing unless you go to like a way simpler graphics aesthetic than, you know, Call of Duty or Fortnite or any of these other games. So it's, it's a, what it, what's the, it's the chicken and egg problem, right? Like we've got the hardware but is there enough hardware and is it fast enough and so there's it's going to be baby steps for like the next 10 20 years where it gets better each generation that's my that's my assumption i'm seeing you could live comment. without ray tracing for sure
1: <laughs> i'm seeing a comment right now uh from a reader ning uh, i apologize if i don't pronounce this correctly but vinyesh uh, says um no one is going to use ray tracing on an esports game like Fortnite, which yeah. I really agree with. I, um, You know, these games tend to be popular, so I understand them getting big new features, but I'd be more interested in seeing ray tracing in sort of the cinematic, single-player, Sony-style game like Last you of Us. You mean like or- uh,
2: Cyberpunk 2077? Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah. that- so, like, when that game comes out, because I think it's one of those things where, like, it has to have a name made for itself, right? So like when Cyberpunk comes out and you can get those sick extra effects that you actually can tell the difference, like that'll be the actual game changer. But has any, yeah, do you think it, it'll it, actually live up to those expectations? The graphics already sure. look
2: sick on their own. Yeah, so. so I mean like the best example of ray tracing so far is I, I think it's got to be control. Like it has reflections that really show up in a lot of places because you're running around an office with all these windows and and mirrors and stuff uh partial transparent reflections you turn ray tracing off in control and it's like oh man i actually notice it's missing um if you don't have like if you're looking at the floor and you've got a puddle screen space reflections can approximate a reflection and do a pretty decent job of it like it's definitely not real life accurate, but is it good enough? And I think I think screen space reflections is for things that are on the floor, but when you see like mirrors or mirrored surfaces or reflective surfaces like on cars and and walls and glass windows and such, you start to notice the reflections more. I mean, you look at Cyberpunk 2070, 2077 and there's tons of that stuff floating around and I think it will make a difference how much better will it look and how much will it impact performance? I don't know, but it's Scott, I think cyberpunk is doing shadows and reflections and maybe global illumination or, or maybe it's just ambient occlusion, but like they're, they're going pretty heavy on the extra ray tracing effects. I'm sure Nvidia is like really hoping that it turns out to be great because they're, they're pushing for it. It supports DLSS too, the deep learning, super sampling and, I mean not a
0: bigger deal. I see a lot of people in the comments are yeah. pointing toward that. Is that maybe a better impact? So that's supposed to bring,
2: look sharper, better frame rates. So part of the thing is like trans, uh, not transparent, uh, temporal anti-aliasing kind of sucks. Like it, it gets rid of jaggies, but makes things look very blurry. And right. so... Beating temporal AA in terms of image quality isn't necessarily that hard, but you know, doing it while running faster and all these other things gets more complex. I think if you're looking at DLSS Quality Mode, which is like it's upscaling say 1440p to 4K, um, I think your 4K your your 1440p upscaled to 4K DLSS quality generally looks better than native 4K with temporal AA, as an example. If you're doing the 1080p to 4K upscaling, so their, their DLSS performance mode, then I think it's it's harder to make the argument that DLSS looks better than TAA, but it, it still looks acceptable. And in motion, I don't think most people would care. I think in motion, like you could do a lot of upscaling tricks and people wouldn't notice, which is what consoles have been doing for ages. So there's that aspect of it to consider. Like if you take a still screenshot people will go, oh yeah, I can see it's not 4K native, it's 1080p. But if you're running around a city playing a game, I think 1080p ends up looking a lot better than most of us want to believe. Um, so so there's that aspect. But yeah, DLSS matters. All the ray tracing performance matters. Um, it's not like, you don't need all of them. You can definitely play at 1080p medium, medium high settings and, and be happy gamer. So keep that in mind. You don't need to buy an, an $800 graphics card or $700 graphics card to enjoy playing PC games. Um,
0: well, speaking of, Chad Gursky would like to know if they could get a 6800 XC or a 3080, which would you recommend? The in question.
2: Yeah. so So at the current prices, you're looking at 650 for the 6800 XT or $700 for the 3,800, theoretically, right? It's probably going to be $50 more than that because they're aftermarket cards that are factory overclocked or something. Um, If if that's there and and the price is $50 different, I would take the NVIDIA card because I'm like, if you want to do ray tracing and get the DLSS bonus like that's the better way to go maybe and maybe AMD's fidelity fx super resolution comes along in the coming months and actually proves to be competitive or even better than DLSS but it's not here yet so i would buy for what's here now and i know there's probably like two dozen or more games with DLSS support now it's in Unreal Engine 4, 5. It's going to see even more widespread support going forward, I think, because DLSS, unlike ray tracing, is pretty much now down to, like, flipping a few switches in your code to say, yes, enable this. Here's here's the uh, user interface to turn it on and off. And uh, and it looks like it works pretty well. So um, so I would take the 38 over the 6800 XT, not not by a huge margin, but, you know, like if you're looking at scores, I would say like maybe the 3080 is a 92, and the 6800 XT is like an 89. It's you know three three points difference isn't gonna like sway me strongly either way. If you're looking at the 60 6800 versus the 3070, I think the 6800 wins that because mostly because this the uh, 3070 only has eight gigabytes of GDDR6 memory, so um, that that ended up being like a definite bottleneck and performance hit in certain tests that I ran. And so my problem is those like well so 6800 6, costs 7 no costs $80 more theoretically than the 3070. And at that point I go but I want the 6800 XT because it's only $70 more than the 6800 so you know then you're back up to the 3080. <laughs>
0: Only $70. <laughs> well,
2: That's that's like a game and a trip to a fast food joint, right? So uh,
0: Yeah, a few. That's an, that's an
1: evening
2: right there. <laughs> no, I mean, $60 game and a trip to a fast food dinner.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Remember when games were $50?
2: I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, you, you can Portal subscribe to Humble to Bundles $30. or whatever. and Yeah, you can get a lot of games for less money if you don't want to get like the latest cyberpunks and watchdogs and stuff. <laughs>
0: Cyberpunk 2000.
1: Speaking of the latest, uh, I actually have a question. Uh, So, the 6900 uh, isn't out yet, uh, but will be coming soon. Uh, Do you have.
2: December 8th,
1: right? uh, I believe, yeah. Uh, So, based on your experiences with these cards, do you have any predictions for how that will stack up against the 3090?
2: yeah I, I I think it loses because it's the same amount of memory, the same memory clock. it's it's on paper, it's eighty compute units versus seventy two compute units in the xt um, sixty eight hundred xt. So like mathematically, that's only something like ten uh, percent more performance. Um, and you know the the thirty ninety is fifteen percent faster than the thirty eighty. If you want to play out 4K, I think I think that's the only reason you'd even get the six the 3090 in the first place. Price is going to be a factor, though. I mean, yeah. fifteen hundred dollars versus a thousand dollars. But I I think the 3080 and the 6800 XT are, are kind of like the sweet spot for extreme graphics cards. Like I I don't think very many people need to or want to or can afford to go above that mark. Um, then there's then there's the rumors, right? Like there's supposed to be 30, 3080 Ti with 20 gigabytes, double the VRAM, and 3070 Ti with 16 gigabytes, double the VRAM. If those surface anytime soon, it, it could definitely change things up, and uh, we'll have to see what happens there and what happens to prices. But I don't think either one of those shows up until, like after february when hopefully nvidia has realigned their wafer orders and has more chip inventory to go around but uh, yeah it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see where it actually lands um i mean uh, as a halo product i I think if you can afford and are willing to spend a thousand dollars on a graphics card even though it's fifty percent more for fifteen hundred dollar thirty ninety i'm like most people don't buy a thousand dollar graphics card in the first place. So, if you're already yeah.
1: going big,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's you're buying it for bragging rights and maximum mm-hmm. performance. And so, 24 gigabytes of GDDR6X like that's that's a ton of bandwidth and a ton of compute power behind it. So, I, I think Nvidia maintains that lead, but it's, it's kind of like the Titan lead of the previous generations where it's like, even though Titan was technically the fastest GPU around, um, not. Not a whole lot of people bought into it, and rightly so.
0: Well, that's one of the things you um, have said from the beginning, right, Jared? Is that this could have been dubbed a Titan Card, but with the RTX branding, you know, people. Yeah. I'm sure, some people lean more towards it when before they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't buy a Titan Card, but with the RTX well, branding—they're like, oh, well, maybe this is in my. Cap. And
2: Nvidia says two things. They they say. You know they reduced the Titan prices, which is kind of not true because Titan prices used to be a thousand dollars, then twelve hundred dollars, and then they jumped to three thousand dollars and twenty five hundred dollars. So I was like, wait a second. <laughs> the <remember>. only reason <laughs> the only reason it's less than the Titan RTX is because the Titan RTX was twice the cost of the Titan XP, and the Titan V was three thousand dollars because it really wasn't for gaming. Like that's let's be clear: the Titan V was your AI deep learning entry-level card for people that couldn't go out and buy a $200,000 workstation with eight um, NVIDIA V100 GPUs in it or whatever. Um, But yeah, so it's less than the Titan, but it's more than the older Titans. So I I don't totally buy into that. The other thing is... um, by putting it in the GeForce branding, which is, Mm. this is kind of dumb, but NVIDIA says, well, Titan cards were only made by NVIDIA and only sold by NVIDIA. We didn't allow our partners to sell Titan cards. And I'm like, well, yeah, but that was a decision you made and you could have walked back on that at any time, right? If you
0: made Um, the rules, you can change the rules.
2: Yeah, they could change those rules, but they they said, well, by making it a GeForce card, we have our add-in partners, ASUS MSI, Gigabyte, you know, EVGA, all of them have their own 3090 cards and they didn't all have Titan cards and isn't... How generous. Great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, it's so kind of them. So it's it's kind of disingenuous, but, you know, I get it. It's the top Halo card and clearly the demand is... Uh, however many they made, I don't know if it was a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, sixty thousand, whatever. Like, however many 3090 cards they sold out just as fast as the 3080 that cost less than half as much so you know clearly there's enough gamers around with deep pockets that they can charge whatever they want for a top end card
1: i'm curious to see if we start hearing stories coming from the gray market of i'm sitting all the on all these graphics cards that i can't sell oh no that would be satisfying to read it would be
2: and i mean like I, this is why I think the bots are going to start calming down because I think if you had bought a sixty nine a sixty eight hundred XT yesterday, if you say say you managed to get ten of them right, you could have probably flipped those for maybe a ten percent profit. But eBay takes a ten percent chunk and PayPal takes a four percent chunk, so really you need to sell it for at least twenty five percent more to break to to make a decent return right and i'm like you know no one should pay a thousand dollars for a seven hundred dollar card um and so i i wouldn't buy them and i'd make them eat that money and hopefully yeah hopefully they get it they take a a, a hit to their income and stop doing this trash
1: at <laughs> that point i would just buy a, a 2080 tie uh but it, you might as well just
2: wait yeah i mean 20 t- the thing is like everything is sold out. Like even, even gray market eBay stuff, you look on eBay and it's like, oh yeah, look, twenty eighty Ti's are still going for a thousand dollars. I'm like, no one should buy that. But I guess some people are.
0: Well, we have, time is flying by, but so I wanna try to see how many of our viewer questions we can get through. One should be decently easy from Dominique Scholz, Do we have any information about when we'll see the first custom cards for the new Radeon series?
2: Um, I, I think by next week, they're supposed to start arriving. I AMD wasn't very clear on this. I don't know if they officially said like November 25th or whatever it is, but um, I, I've heard that date floating around. Um, I don't know if I can say more than that, but uh, <laughs> uh, they're coming. The, the same problem is going to exist, though, like how many of these cards are there? Um, I, I explained earlier why I think AMD probably is producing more Zen 3 chips than they're producing RDNA 2 chips because that would make financial sense, which means their partners probably aren't getting as many RDNA 2 chips as they would like either, which means they're all going to sell out. Um so whether it's sapphire fxx xfx or asus or gigabyte or whoever your brand of preference is like they'll exist and they'll sell out and you know it's funny cuz people talk about oh well all these paper launches and it's like well no they weren't paper launches like i've i've heard rumblings that nvidia has sold more than 100,000 3070 cards um, i don't know if that's true or not i have no way of proving that cuz i'm not like your market analyst that goes and Talks to all the resellers to get numbers, but a hundred thousand graphics card at launch is a lot. I mean, that's that's not a small number. Um, have you noticed
0: um, anything, Michelle, as you've been tracking all these new cards? Have the third party cards been more or less available than the reference cards?
1: Um, not particularly. I mean, they're all in pretty high demand. Um, Unfortunately, but it, it does raise a good point, uh, that much demand being like, is it even possible to make enough product to meet that demand? Or are we just going to be in a future where everything feels like a paper launch uh, just because there's no way to avoid it?
2: Yeah, it's like how many wafers does TSMC start per month? I i I don't know if it's two hundred thousand. i think i've heard that and it's like that sounds like a ton but That's they got to make chips for apple for amd for nvidia for other customers you know and it's it's like that that goes fast um and you know if a wafer when you're looking at a big chip like like a 500 millimeter squared or larger chip I think you only get like seventy or eighty of them per wafer, um, and that's assuming they all work. Which some of them would have to be binned down so that you know they're partially disabled and sold as a lower tier product. Um, and so it's like, well, say Apple's taking a hundred thousand chips wafers per month, and NVIDIA and AMD split the difference and each take fifty thousand or whatever. I'm like, well, that means at best they're only making uh, you know maybe a million chips a month. Um, but I, I think that's probably even being generous. So it's probably less than that. And, and you gotta still trickle it down and manufacture everything else. I think it takes quite a bit of time. Like eventually they'll sell millions of these things. Nvidia has said in the past, they sold 15 million or more RTX 20 series GPUs. That was like 18 months after launch, but certainly they didn't sell 15 million in the first three months.
1: And I'm seeing a a couple of comments asking what is a paper launch. So that's a good question. It's a, it's a term for when a company, you know, officially launches a product so that they can say it's launched, but they don't give enough product for people to actually buy. And people like to throw that around a lot when things are sold out but that doesn't necessarily mean that something is a paper launch if the company put in a good effort to provide enough enough product. Uh, so, you know, it's it's kind of subjective, but that's the yeah. accusation that people are making.
2: My favorite paper launch example would be <laughs> Intel's Canon Lake. So like Intel Canon Lake was Intel's first 10 nanometer CPU. It actually existed, right? But only in a single chip sold in a laptop sold in China in very limited quantities, and and so like it, it didn't really exist. It it existed as a checkbox so that Intel executives could say we shipped ten nanometer in two thousand eighteen. No, they didn't. They they totally didn't. And everyone who <laughs> got a lick of sense knows they didn't. And that Cannon Lake was a complete failure. But they they had to try and save face on some level by claiming that it did ship. Actually, was it 2017? I think it might've shipped at the end of 2017. You know, again, fake ship. <laughs> but
0: that's Intel, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we have time for at least one more question. Trevor would like to know, Trevor Rainier, um, he would like to know if we think 4K gaming is worth the while of these new generations. Um, They're also seeing ultra-wide 1440p slash 1600p picking up, too. I mean, I have, like, sub-mediocre gaming skills, so I don't need the highest frame rates, and I have perfect vision when I wear my contacts, so I love 4K gaming because I love the visuals, but let's see what the frame, frame rate hounds have to say.
2: I mean, it depends on the game you're playing. I, I still think 1440p is kind of your best blend because you can get high refresh rates without spending a ton of money. Like that's somewhere back there is a 144 Hertz 4K monitor that originally sold for $2,000, you know? But the
0: know. luxury of 4K Yeah, it, It's gaming. a
2: beautiful display and, and the stupid thing has a fan in it that keeps on <laughs> cool the G-Sync module and that fan is louder than any other fan in my office. So I'm like, what a joke. Um But but it it looks beautiful. So sure. Um, I I think if you want 4K, you're almost better off just getting like an LG OLED TV because they're not that much more expensive than some of these smaller computer displays. And I I like 4K more for the um, the the productivity aspect. So when I'm not gaming, I'm like, hey, it's great to be able to read the text on my screen. Which means I need a 40 inch or larger 4K TV, which you know I don't have. Um, I, I end yeah, there's up with a like versatility aspect. To yeah, it but as well. for certain things like having more windows available to see at once is is helpful. So I, I like that. People would say go multi monitor, but I'm like, no, I go multi computer.
0: <laughs> also, the idea that like future proofing, like I don't think I'll, I'll be buying into 8K or even 5K no. anytime no. soon. So this max out at 4K. Call it a day. Yeah.
1: I personally love 1440p. I'm not doing this show on a 1440p. I'm doing it on a full HD 1080p um, monitor. But the monitor behind me... Oh, it's just hidden behind by a chair. <laughs> but it's, it's a curved uh, 1440p monitor uh, that does 144 hertz. And it looks... You know, I'm not... Uh, I don't have such discerning eyes that I can tell the difference a lot unless I'm looking for it. Um, So 1440p, I notice it looks a little better than 1080p, um, but that monitor can also do 144 Hertz. Whereas to get a monitor that does both 4K and those high frame rates is very expensive. Mm-hmm. And I like having the the option to go up to those frame rates, even if I don't need it for every game, especially for uh, competitive games. Uh, even if it doesn't make me better, it, it feels nicer. So I feel like, you know, 1440p is a good balance. You get above average resolution, but you can still hit those above average frame rates too without necessarily spending a lot of money and when i'm moving you know quickly in a video game uh i'm going to notice the frame rate more immediately than i'm going to notice the resolution especially because with a
2: 360 hertz 1080p like i i did it for a little bit and i'm like oh man i i better not get used to this because going back to 60 hertz monitor is it's a big drop you're like wait why does it feel yeah that's like another
0: thing it depends like the note the difference you'll notice from 60 to 360 versus you know 144 to 360 240. and then yeah. again from 1440p to 4k you might not really notice it but if you've been yeah. on 1080p or even 720p you'll be like wow i've been missing out and
1: it also depends on your your gaming habits you know i like high-paced uh fast paced competitive games. I also like slower paced adventure games. But if I had to choose, you know, what I want my equipment to be geared towards, I want it to be geared towards those sort of multiplayer experiences, uh, which is why I'm, you know, prioritizing frame rates. But if you don't play a lot of those, and you just want cyberpunk or, or Tomb Raider or Death Stranding to look the best it can. That's where 4K maybe comes more into play for you.
0: Awesome. So that is about all the time we have for today's show. But if you haven't already, definitely go to tomshardware.com. Check out Jared's review on the 6800 XT and the 6800. You can also stock the retailers by checking out our articles on where you can buy these cards as well as the NVIDIA cards. Michelle's been watching all these retailers like a hawk to see when they're in stock. So definitely rely on those if you're looking to buy. And also while you're at it, you can like Tom's Hardware on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel or download every episode of the Tom's Hardware Show as a podcast. So we will be (laughs) back next Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Um, So thank you to Jared and Michelle for stopping by. Um, Any final words from you two?
2: I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the not as exorbitantly priced GPUs in the coming months. Like uh, we we pretty much know 3060 Ti is a thing, which implies there will be a 3060. Um, I'm expecting 5700 XT at some point, maybe a 50, uh, not 57, 6700 XT right. and 700 <laughs> from AMD. You know, like I, I'm very curious to see how things scale down to like that $300 to $400 price range. Because, you know, for every... cards sold, they probably sold 10, will sell 10, you know, less expensive cards. So definitely interested to see, like, can we get budget $200 ray traced cards (laughs) with the like an RTX 3050? And will it be worth having? Uh, That's probably something we'll find out in the next six months. And
1: we haven't, uh looked at any m1 units yet uh but even if the numbers are looking great for emulated performance where they are as those m1 Macs start to get more into the hands of users i'm curious to see what kind of bugs people run into uh at running older programs through rosetta 2. that'll be what makes or breaks it for me Um, so that's what i'm going to be keeping an eye on Mm. i've noticed already some people are seeing that their premiere bitrate exports are getting messed up. So all that you sort know what of I'm really stuff. curious to
2: see with the M1 is like how careful has Apple been with security exploits, these side channel uh, side channel attacks that have plagued Intel and AMD to a lesser extent for the past several years. Ever since that the uh, whole meltdown and Spectre thing came out, we we've routinely seen more and more of those and I oh. I wonder like Apple I think has Managed to avoid a lot of that just by being kind of its own thing. But
0: Apple doesn't get viruses. We all know. Yeah, that. exactly.
2: So, so I'm like going, once they start making lots of M1 chips, are these going to start getting targeted at some point? And what exploits will people find there?
0: For sure. And everything can get viruses, everything and everyone. So, yeah. yeah
1: so stay safe.
0: <laughs> for sure. And thank you to all the awesome viewers for all your questions today. We really appreciate it. And we will see you next Thursday. Bye. Bye.